Hello, everyone. We welcome you all to another episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast with your hosts, Bernard Günther and Laura Matsu. This will be our 23rd episode and also our last episode for this year until we start fresh again in 2020. And the topic of today's episode is winter reflections and contemplating death as we approach the winter solstice and the holidays, Christmas, everything is kind of more slowing down, well, uh, based on the natural cycles. But we'll talk about all of that more. And Laura wrote something beautiful a few days ago on Facebook about Christmas and winter and also death. And uh, if you mind reading it. Yeah, so as we head into winter on the upper hemisphere, many of us will have to get familiar with the energetic signature of death. This time of year is usually the time of year where culturally we're expected to be most festive, i.e. stereotypical Christmas ornaments displaying on houses and images of a fictitious white man with a beard who reigns consumerism on the masses. But this is not what winter is about, and these images often go against what nature has intended for this season. This is a season of letting go, of sadness for what we gained and what was lost. This is a season to learn impermanence as we watch the leaves change color and die as they fall to the ground. The matrix control system is always attempting to create an inversion of Earth's natural cycles in order to confuse us. This is a time of year where depression increases as the colder days force us to experience a lack of sunlight and isolation. It is also a time of warmth, of recollection, of recalibration, and gathering to reminisce over what the year taught us. But the Matrix wants us to buy more and consume until we are in debt so we don't have to feel any of this. It is a beautiful time of year if you are comfortable with death. However, most of us are not comfortable with it. So this is why we buy more things to comfort ourselves and we fall back into addictions, especially during this time of year. Uh, in family constellation therapy, which is a type of therapeutic modality for healing yourself through your ancestors, they speak about how we, when we return to a specific time of year, we often will experience reverber reverberations of emotions that we experience at other times during that same time of year. So for many of us, Christmas, as we became adults, becomes tinged with a kind of like depression and loneliness and sadness because um, it's very much different to often the Christmas that we knew as children. So these kind of nostalgic imagey, images of families gathering flashed around us makes us realize how isolated we've grown in this hyper-individualized world. So we've lost this true meaning of winter and gathering around the fire and instead placed it with a mash of flashing lights, distractions, and consumerism. We're meant to gather together for warmth during these times with our family and perhaps now a soul family, but instead for many of us, it just becomes a reminder of how socially and emotionally isolated we have become. So winter is the best time for us to do this deep soul retrieval and shadow work. And it's also the perfect time to let go of everything, both good and bad, that you experience this year. So you can start anew. We're heading into extremely potent new year. So I'm kind of making reference to the Saturn-Pluto conjunction of 2020. And a lot of different alignments cause on a cosmic level are going to create huge changes in this next year, right in the beginning, too. So winter is making us feel cold, but there's this alchemical fire that's trying to light within us. So we just want to invite people to allow themselves to take advantage of this time, to go within, to feel all the emotions of the past year, to let go of what was past so they can be reborn. Yeah, beautifully, yeah. So exactly, winter is is the season of hibernation, introspection, reflection, and letting go. And I can very much relate to what you just mentioned um, in regards to the family constellation therapy about <clears> that <throat> we return to a specific time of the year where we often experience the reverberations of emotions that we've experienced at other times during the same time of the year. And for me personally, every winter, yeah, starting December, late December or mid-December, January, 
I do always get into a nostalgic or melancholic mood. You know, it's like, yeah, maybe there's some talk about seasonal depression, winter depression, but it's not so much depression, it's more this melancholy, right? There's a certain sadness I always experience, and yeah, sometimes loneliness, you know, especially for me personally, I don't, you know, I live in the US, my parents and my family is in Germany, so I haven't really celebrated Christmas of family in 25 years. But for me personally as well, I have a very different view and attitude towards Christmas. So I don't buy into the consumerist story, so to speak, or Santa Claus, uh, nor am I religious, um, celebrating the uh, birth of Jesus. Uh, I'm, you know, definitely a more spiritual, but there's definitely these, this kind of like melancholy and you know almost i can see, sense now that nature or the energies are inviting me to go more inside to reflect to hibernate and you said it correctly and in, in the external world the way christmas is portrayed it's very yang energy very active very masculine outgoing stressed by presence get organized get the christmas tree all of that and it's it's you know it's and you hear all the commercialized christmas music and all of that and you know most often the kids are like very excited about their presence and whatnot, as I was a little kid. But, you know, as you grow older, there's something deeper, and especially when you're more in, in, in a deeper spiritual process or work in general and are more self-aware and you're more tuned into the natural cycles, you experience more this yin energy of hibernation, of wanting to retreat, to go inside and reflect, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, for me personally, like, you know, there's, even like now for my first time, uh, I'm celebrating quote unquote Christmas with my wife <laughs> since we just got married earlier this year, but still the same energy is there. It asks us to go inside and reflect and really reflect on the past year, not even in a nostalgic way, but also what you mentioned in terms of truly processing, letting go of the past. And you made a very important point to get, let go of the quote unquote good and bad, mm. both to make room for new, right? To let go in, in our process as we keep going and shedding. And ultimately, obviously, that also relates to death, to die to the past, mm -hmm. right? Because people get stuck in the past in all sorts of ways, like by idealizing a good experience or a good week that they had or a especially bad one, you know? And then as long as we are kind of cr stuck in this fantasy of the past year, you know, and we haven't fully processed it, then it can impact our experience in the present present quite greatly like if i was like oh my god you know that the last year 2019 was my best year ever it's important to celebrate that but at the same time don't get also attached to the year you know exactly it reminds me i see this on social media or facebook people like 2019 was a horrible intense year you know hopefully next year will be better same thing people said about 2018 17 oh, yeah, yeah, and everybody yeah. you know like but these are intense times in general mm -hmm. and it's also a very personal experience for everybody differently and it's more how you also aligned to what's happening on a collective level these energies this, yeah. this time of transition we're in right now there's something bigger happening which we need to align ourselves with yeah and also also, if like, you know, from a basic karmic perspective, if, if external, if you feel like life is happening to you and you're just a product of like your experiences and, you know, you're holding out hope that just because it's 2020, the year is going to be better because it's a fresh year. It's actually us and our sincerity in doing the work that makes the journey easier. You know what I mean? Because I've noticed there is a sharp um, improvement And not because I was looking for an improvement, but as I did inner work each year, the soul lessons, sometimes they were hard, yeah, but it wasn't it, like life was happening to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like people are always holding out hope. They're like, oh, 2020, new year. It's like, no, you can change your life right now, you know? Exactly. I mean, that's, and that's a topic in itself, the whole new year, which people celebrate. I also haven't celebrated or this whole New Year's Eve thing in over 20 years because mm -hmm. it's also the Gregorian calendar we live by is completely out of sync with the natural cycles, mm -hmm. right? On the December 31st and then January 1st, it's not really, it's in the middle of winter just happened, the new cycle, and then all of a sudden a new year. Mm -hmm. You know, the astrological the new year in the sense of a true new year would be uh, with the spring equinox, I would I would say, you know, mm -hmm. like the starting of a spring, right? That's true. Um but you're right, like we always then get trapped in hope 
right? The yeah. grasping and something positive, good, like something good always needs to happen and our ego judges it. But like you said, sometimes I've been, you know, this year was also very challenging in many regards and like any other past year, but the game changes once you're sincerely engaged in self-work and the process of awakening and taking self-responsibility. And then you see that so-called bad things that happened were actually very, very important initiations in disguise. If mm -hmm. you learned the lesson that really, if you were able to, that open something up could have been very challenging emotionally, psychologically, physically, whatever it may be. But there's a deeper spiritual lesson behind it that helps us to get closer to God, to divine, to our true self. And in that sense, it's actually tough grace. It's something that our ego or wounded personality judges as bad experience, as a bad experience. But brings us to something much better, much more fulfilled. And mm -hmm. we don't, we don't see it in the moment, but realize it after the fact. And I feel like this is like a good time of year to just take stock of how this year has impacted you and just use it as like a, like, um, just a quant, quant quantitative measure, even if the, if the, even if the calendar isn't correct. Like, where was I emotionally at the beginning of this year on a physical level, spiritually? It's really hard to gauge where you're at spiritually, though, to be honest. But, yeah. you know, like, you know, you just even look at the practical side of it. Did you take up a new practice? Did you gain a new insight, understanding, you know? And just also look at, just take stock on, like, how much has changed. Like, if the beginning of this year, I mean, just looking at reflecting on our past year, like, you that was around the time when we got married basically yes we got married january 22nd yeah and then mm -hmm. since then we've done the two retreats this year and that was intense of, yeah we have done a lot of work together as yeah, well we, a lot. Know, in our relationship also us you know our own relationship process mm -hmm. right with stuff that's coming up and processing that as using as a catalyst and then combining our work, we hosted two retreats together, which were amazing, but also very challenging, mm -hmm. but brought the whole work for me personally to another level as well. Speaking on reflection, like maybe some listeners know I've, that I've done seven retreats so far and two of them with uh, Laura now. And in the past, I did it with my good friend from Peru, Fred, and then our Fred's and my paths kind of diverged naturally and then you came into my life and we naturally started combining our work and those retreats us it's even more balanced of the yin and yang and interestingly the process the group process we've been through were actually more intense and more deep and more grounding than anything else I've done before with medicine plan mm -hmm. right so that was definitely I've seen how I've changed as well because as I change or you change and we learn new modalities more practices and also through our own self-work through our own practice right mm -hmm. it reflects the work we're doing we can go deeper with other people as we can go deeper with ourselves um so that shows itself in the work but it definitely has not been easy because of uh, the the work is uh, you know by its nature can be very messy um but it was very it's it's very very rewarding and then on top of it yeah this like i mentioned at the beginning we have recorded uh, 23 podcasts. So that's like, how much is that? That's like 46 hours of recording yeah. with guests and then also between you and I. So, so what about like, a lot of, you know, from that perspective, a lot of productivity. productivity. Yeah. So that's the kind of externally oriented part. But what do you right. feel are like the more internal, like oriented lessons of this year for you? For me, definitely, again, relationship oriented all you know just coming together with you and and you know we've been together now almost like two years and now something like that and then especially making making that commitment you know the commitment to relationship and especially with marriage you know um that's really the when i realized when we both realized that you'd really fully 100% committing to this i am committing to this mm -hmm. and that commitment has really opened up a whole new pathway in terms of my self-work, in terms of my own realizations, because I think I've mentioned it before, a lot of this stuff, things I was dealing with in my personal life, I couldn't have handled, figured out, or or even seen in myself just by myself. Yeah. I was only able to come up in relationship. Yeah, right? it's very easy to do self-work by yourself, by the way. And so if, like, you know, when people are avoiding it doing just by themselves, I'm like, okay, you don't even know what you're in for. Never mind doing it at a retreat or in a personal relationship. Yeah. Because that's when you truly, like, it's like, it's kind of like, 
doing your work in front of a mirror versus doing it in front of an actual person. You yeah. know what I mean? You know, in the, the beauties, we definitely have that foundation and collinearity of just looking the same direction, you know, this main aim in yeah. our own personal lives, even though we approach it sometimes differently because we are also individuals, but we are both very sincere in that, in that sense, uh, doing the work together. But we also recognize that, you know, we each have our own individual process and it's under the foundation of the divine. But, you know, for me personally, stuff came up from the past, stuff I thought I've already worked through past relationship, uh, childhood wounding, little things got triggered again in, in my relationship with you. But, um, you know, this time in that container, I was able to go deep and truly heal it because I realized once again in the past, I may have, you know, in my, even my process, I have maybe more intellectually understood or grasped what my issues were. Yeah. And then my mind fooling itself that, oh, I, I understand it now. Now I have, I, it's, it's gone. Yeah. But a lot of it is stuck in my body. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. The inter the intellectual understanding is great, especially for people who tend to be more like yin f feminine orientated so they can kind of make sense of what's going on in their reality and their body, but it's not nearly enough to actually embody it. And I also speaking of those lessons this year, I've realized too that we always want to like kind of like aggressively fix our problems and hope that they we learn about them and they go away and that's also taking the left brain masculine approach to it when the truth is i don't think that you know i don't think that some sadly to say for some people that some of your problems ever go away but you start to ally with them and you start they start teaching you and then what they teach you actually is to grow a conscience and like to actually grow your soul so even your the most the things that like trigger you and the things that really get you time and time again those if you can just learn how to hold that experience and get to know and get curious about those kinds of emotions then you truly become spiritually stronger it's not all of a sudden that this problem goes away you know yeah it's kind of like our issues with our parents our parents are always gonna not always but it does improve but our parents always will have some level of hook into some past wound of us for the most part um and the more that we try and fight that and change it the more the worse it usually gets you know because they're not going to change our dynamic is going to change but the more that we learn how to use that element of the relationship to teach us the more that we actually can grow spiritually so i think that the a whole idea of spirit i mean adya shanti talks about this whole idea of spirituality become a better better more peaceful person you know that's this whole kind of self-development curve that has taken over spirituality which i don't think is like true spiritual growth true spiritual growth is like acknowledging and accepting the reality of human existence and not trying to change anything but trying to almost improve your relationship with being human yeah that's so exactly that's what Ashanti mentioned about that you know enlightenment or the process of awakening it's not about becoming a quote better or more peaceful person and so that everybody loves you or more quote unquote successful um you know it is about and it's like he also said it's not a self-development course spirituality right that's the difference between self-actualization it's more like approach of your ego personality versus self-realization of really growing your soul like you said you know yeah. if you want to self-actualize have a self-development course you know follow tony robbins <laughs> no disrespect i mean it has its place but it's like spiritual work you know or enlightenment that that is truly a destructive process and can be very challenging mm -hmm. right and also so that kind of leads into this point about death is when we really meditate on death It will teach us how to live. So from moment to moment, the, even, even in our quest to like become better, better, happier people is an avoidance of death. Like we want to avoid like the boredom and the stillness. Mm -hmm. And that's actually the most difficult part of winter for like more yang orientated people because there is going to be a natural slowing down, especially you know, because it gets colder out. And so we need to learn how to also accept that. And the reason why, you know, this social media and technology age is happening is because people can't be with themselves and they can't be still for a moment and they can't do a moment where they're not doing anything or thinking anything. And I mean, they literally can't. Like, even if they put down their phone, they're going to be start thinking of something in their head. So we don't even have... <clears throat> 
a good relationship with the death nature within ourselves. Like we can't, death is really like slowing down and boredom and that kind of like limbo space. That's how I feel it is energetically. Um, And I think that the whole world is the reason that it functions in the kind of neurotic way that it does is because people are not don't have a good relationship with death and they feel constant anxiety because exactly because of that and that's even heightened with the whole michael luton talked about this in one of our podcasts the saturn pluto conjunction we are creates a lot of death anxiety in people and the reason from that perspective quote-unquote reason why the world is the way it is with people like you know freaking out and this 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 craziness we're out there because the whole world collectively humanity is in death anxiety right it's like the fear of death unconscious is is underlying everything mm-hmm. right any little fear you have it has its root in the fear of death yeah of, right so if you're consciously aware of it or not and i realized that the other day because i was just kind of i had this moment of like like higher than usual objective awareness of what's going on in myself rather than being you know in the experience and i mean going on in myself is in going on in my body I just want to make that uh, clarification. Um, But I realized that, you know, as a human being living in this world, like I live in a tremendous state of just subtle fear. And I think this is at the basis of a lot of people's existence. And sometimes it's very, it's so high that they actually notice it. But I mean, because we are this kind of like eternal soul trapped in a mortal body, we are, we are, we we just feel fearful. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're, we're part animal. We know that we're vulnerable. We know, how many on a on a, I mean on a deep cellular level we know that we're not fully in control of this and that's very scary yeah. you know and a lot of human beings like we want to believe that we're in control of things that's why we make our lives to be as comfortable as possible and we set it up in a certain way so that we never have to deal with any like discomfort it's all about making ourselves comfortable and not and I'm not against comfort at all I'm just saying that this is what we do to actually avoid death is any sort of security yeah and even people who are uncomfortable with feeling uncomfortable like they want it's not possible to be on the spiritual path and be uncomfortable with suffering it's just not you're not going to get anywhere personally you know so you really have to develop a relationship with your own suffering and your grief and all of these emotions which are ultimately related to death you know even the whole stages of grieving, you know, like we go through those in with many different elements of our lives as we properly let them go. You know what I mean? So we're kind of stalled in this like fundamental way on actually facing death. And there's a reason why, you know, these, these meditators in the Himalayas and Tibet are so joyful and happy. You know, the Tibetan book of the dead is like one example of something that's like common knowledge in their spiritual community is they're very comfortable with death. So the more comfortable that we are with death, the more there's actually a lightness and a joy to life, which sounds kind of paradoxical. But if you really become comfortable with death, you actually have nothing to fear anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you mentioned about, as he was talking about fears, I can reflect again on you know, personally in this past year, I still I have my own fears and fears came up, you know, even on a relationship got triggered or even like more, you know, from an existential perspective, financial uh, fears and all of that, you know, but also recognizing that in one part, like we talked, these thoughts are coming from the outside, could be a call to difference, taking, tagging into insecurity, wounds, uh, conditioned beliefs and whatnot. But it's all rooted in this, like, again, we go back to fear of death, a fear of losing something and the grasping, the ego, like, wants to stay in control and have security. Mm-hmm. And you can see that, you know, how this reptilian brain gets activated for many of us in, in situations where most people then also become very self, uh, selfish. Everybody's out for themselves. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's where we, we need to also acknowledge our own egocentricity that, you know, fundamentally, it's mostly about us. Are we having a, you know, it's, you know, taking care of ourselves? That's what we most think of before thinking of others, right? Mm-hmm. It's also natural in some level. 
need to take care of yourself, but the ego can easily get so identified with it that any threat to it creates an immense fear and keeps us also enclosed, keeps us from expanding, from taking risks, from really shining our true light mm -hmm. because we, we're staying in this bubble because of this fear and this fear is mostly unconscious. Yeah. And the road towards that, you know, breaking through on a spiritual path is really confronting fear, which means confronting death. And death, not even the physical death, but you meant grieving everything we let go of, of like past experiences, even good, bad, whatever it may be, consciously letting this go, mm -hmm. right? And then also what I've learned you know, even came up in my own relationship or like in my own personal process in general, allowing myself to feel all feelings based on fear. Whatever mm -hmm. I'm afraid, like go, like whenever fear is coming up, that's actually a good time to meditate on it, to feel into that, into your whole body. Yeah. And allowing yourself to feel it is also a term of letting it go, right? And then when you're able to go deep with that, you see even the illusion of it and you tap into the impermanence of yourself. Yeah, and that's also the importance of grief, you know, like a lot of people are scared to grieve and it's, to be honest, just from witnessing it in people, it's the one of the uh, most like humbling, I guess, and humane and it's it's really a messy experience to grieve. So we have to be comfortable with truly grieving because if you're not able to grieve and then build that soil again in that space in your heart or your body or whatever it is, new life can't grow. And I've seen people's lives basically stall because they are unwilling to grieve. And this isn't just grieving people's deaths, by the way. This is like even, you know, so if I, I went to India like a couple years um, ago and if I was still attached to like an amazing experience experience I had at the temple or meditating in India, I wouldn't like that, that would actually cause me just as much sadness, even though it was a quote unquote positive experience than uh, holding on to a negative experience. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I think is really important is, is like letting go also allows new life to live because we can't actually show up for our lives and be present. And just even the, the ability to let go and move on from different aspects of our lives is, has like a higher intelligence in it, you know? And people mostly think that letting go is just distracting themselves with something else but then yeah. they're still hanging on to elements of the past or how life used to be you know and that's actually this kind of like nostalgia which I can relate to as well I definitely have moments of like nostalgia that cause immense sadness for me but when I'm feeling that nostalgia which often happens at the end of the year by the way too I think for many people it's also showing me that I didn't grieve some experience properly yeah. I didn't let it go it's interesting about nostalgia because it reminds me of music you know I'm a musician and music has a big influence on me and I love listening to music I dance I used to dance a lot and it was like it's like medicine for me good music right it helps you to process depending what I listen to but what I've noticed you know, in terms of grieving, ever, ever since we've gotten together, I actually realized I had to grieve all my years prior when I was single in solitude. Mm -hmm. Like just, you know what I mean? Just, yeah. there was a phase in my life and during that time was listening to music a lot, certain tracks and bands or electronic music. And now recently I've, you know, sometimes listened to that kind of music again. And you know, music is very mysterious. It kind of, you know, whenever you were into a certain band or or even just a song you listen to repeatedly, it's like your memory is imprinted with that time, mm -hmm. right, bringing you back. And so when I listen to that now, like I cannot relate anymore. So as I cannot even listen to that music anymore. Like my yeah, music is a taste or like whatever is changing. That and happens yeah. to me every year. I don't know yeah. about you. Yeah, but that's, <laughs> I think that's a good thing because I feel, I mean, to each their own, people get so stuck with certain like you know, old band music that old bring bands, that nostalgia, yeah. like they never change or bands never change because then they yeah. want to cash in and play their old songs over and over. Yeah, that's actually a sign that people are stuck in the past if they exactly. listen to the bands that they're like, oh, I like the bands I liked in the 90s. I'm like, you're and actually... It's not, you know, it can be fun nostalgia, but it also says a lot like you know, how attached you are to your past. Exactly. And that can hold you back, you know, exactly. the memories, the nostalgia, which makes you feel good. That's why you're holding on to them. Yeah. But it can keep you from f uh, truly progressing, especially spiritually. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. And we're always in this, you know, process of death, basically. Like our cells are like the, the thing about also we talk about and we've talked about embodiment the, the, this past year. And what I'm realizing, too, is my own personal lesson is becoming more embodied is actually a terrifying, painful experience. I'm sorry to say, like you do feel more present and you can have more authentic, intimate relationships, you know. But at the same time, you start feeling everything and almost Maybe it's just me because of some astrological placements I have, but it's almost too intense at times. You know what I mean? And at the, and I've noticed just at a cellular level, you know, if you really tune into the process happening in your body, you'll be tuning into your own death. You know, that's really what it comes down to. And I think that like, we're so, we're so far removed from even feeling that going on that we can't process our life experiences properly. But bringing it back to the music thing, I also, like, I think it's like, you know, it's, it's almost like what happened because of our marriage um, is like you were growing a certain crop in a garden and now you're never not growing that crop and you may not grow it ever again. And now something completely new is there, you know, so you have to go through this kind of natural letting go of that phase of your life and cycle and it will hit you. Like this is why winter is a good time to reflect because it hits you in a way that you didn't expect, expect because we're honestly often so busy, quote unquote, living our lives, we don't actually realize what's happening. You know, like I didn't realize when we met that this period of like being like a solo traveler and doing whatever I want was basically over, you know, and I realized that like a few months, not, not even a few months ago, it was like a month ago. I was like, whoa, that's, that's something that I'm not going to do again for a really long time, basically, or maybe I will, you know, but it's just over in that sense. And it's interesting. I've realized too, like I've kind of built a new pattern and this is something that we can also do as well. I think when we're talking about returning to this time of year is that last year around January, I was also going into a meditation retreat this year. I didn't even think about it this way, but this year I'm also going to meditation retreat. So I'm realizing there's a bit of a different pattern growing than what, what it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so also like, you know, going tying this into Christmas because again, we are so distracted from the matrix perspective of just focusing on like the family and external buying presents and all of that. And also this pressure of like, oh, the family needs to get together. And like, it can be very hard for a lot of people who have very, um, difficult family dynamics, right? Mm-hmm. Or don't have parents or yeah. bad memories. You know what I mean? They can, in, you know, because they're not of comparison or the social pressure of like having a happy family together around Christmas yeah. can increase more depression, mm-hmm. right? Instead of, you know, even like you see it from the, the story of Jesus, right? For me, I have a very different view. It ties more into astrotheology. Look it up. Christmas and astrotheology was actually the first part of the document, the film, The Zeitgeist that the so-called birth of Christ is actually related to certain uh, astrological constellations and the birth of Christ and the crucifixion is, is, um, is a metaphor for something that happens you know, within the seasons. So, on, for example, on the winter solstice, uh, December 21st, the sun dies, right? It's the longest night, the shortest day, and then something happened, it goes, so to speak, underground, and it is then reborn on the December 25th, this, the birth of the sun, right? Of the son of God, so to speak. So what I've learned over the years, you know, is my own Christmas practice, so to speak. I do a letting go ceremony for myself, meditation on the winter solstice, you know, that what we just talked about of contemplating, of letting go, con- reflecting, recapitulating, contemplating on the past and letting go. And then going also more into a meditative phase. And then on the 25th, as the sun is reborn, another ceremony, so to speak, and put out my intentions, you know, for what, where, what I want to be as a human being or, you know, intentions, not only materialistically, what I want or wishes or desires, but more, um, this alignment. Didn't right, you put out your, your intentions self. for a relationship like a couple of years ago too? Yeah. That was also last, um, not last two years ago. So happened. on the winter solstice two years on, ago, right uh, before we met. Exactly. And then a month later we met. And yeah. that was also in context because I would felt very, very ready in that moment to like, I'm ready for a relationship again. Mm-hmm. Because I knew it, it didn't come from this desperation or need or want to be somebody. Mm-hmm. I just deep internally felt and knew beyond feeling new that 
and I mentioned this before, uh, I think I've written about it in my past essay that I felt just, I had a, you know, uh, I was kind of stuck in my own process. I knew in my own soul evolution, uh, a spiritual relationship as we have, so to speak, would be the next step to really uh, evolve on a deeper level in context of relationship because I knew I couldn't do it on my own anymore. Yeah, that was interesting because then just around Christmas, you decided that. Then I know there was a pivotal moment for me when I was in a silent retreat. I was like the second last day of the retreat and I realized that like I had this experience of grace, I guess you could call it just like, and I know this sounds crazy, but like total peace and, and, and like just peace with life and not needing anything. And I was like, I actually don't need a relationship to be happy. And I had that realization like two weeks after you realized you wanted a relationship. Yeah. So it's but amazing it, to see how that works. Exactly. But it was the same, similar to me in the sense that I didn't, I didn't hold on to that. I was just like, this is what I'm putting out to the divine, but I'm completely let go of that at the same time. Yeah. Right. I wasn't like grasping on it or looking at every, you know, who could it be and all this. I completely let it go. And then in the beginning when we met, we, started we didn't, even, we didn't even realize that what was happening until yeah. later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was definitely like, um, like a strong feeling that something was happening. At least that's how it felt for me. Like I knew that this, I knew that when we first started talking that something was ha something important was happening, you know? Yeah, that's true, yeah. Um, but that wasn't fueled with my own projections at all. I just, like, it was just very, it was a very strong, it was a very strong, indescribable feeling. And, you know, that also reminds me of, um, I posted something recently about polarity, attraction, and shadow. You know, mm -hmm. that, you know, I also noticed, and I think we talked about this maybe in, in one of our episodes of relationships when we first met, there was not this romant, romantic, emotional attraction and high, you know? Yeah. Um, it was more just a slow process and more of a recognition. Yeah. That wouldn't have been possible with the level of like kind of, I had like Pluto transiting my seventh house for a really long time. So I had a lot of like of those kind of karmic relationships and I learned my lessons from them. Same for me. We were like, both kind of cautious in this sense. Yeah, right? exactly. We were both kind of like having a more like sober view of relationships. Not like sober as in like we didn't have a deep emotional connection or was detached, but I just mean I knew when I was feeling strong emotions to also, you know, take a step back and like look at things clearly because sometimes when we just feel positive emotions for someone, we actually tend to look over what is actually happening in the relationship. So I would, this is just an example. I would feel a strong emotion for someone and then, Oh, like this means we're meant to be or whatever. But then they weren't even like calling me at the time they said they would, they weren't even like making an effort. You know, you have to get your kind of masculine left brain switched on, at least for women, maybe for you too, in relationships so that you're able to look at things objectively, you know, like be that sober, clear headed friend that you never had. And also what I talked about before being able to make this commitment at a hundred percent. Yeah. Without one foot in, one foot out. Some people yeah. aren't sure, let's try this out. But then from a metaphysical perspective, that just leaves room for interference, first That's of all. That's true, yeah. And all kinds of like uh, lack of, um, you know, union. And basically. this also doesn't, like, we also spent time getting to know each to other. To know each other before engaging physically. Exactly. Like for, uh, for this many, is kind of... many, months. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but I'm, what, what I think is just really special about we just compared about like our kind of experiences last year is amazing once you see how the universe kind of works when you really set the intention and you're telling yourself, I'm ready for this, but I'm also not clinging to it. And it takes and a lot of self-honesty to be at that point because I've heard many people be like, yes, I am ready for it. And it's like, no, but I can tell that they're still... And from what level are you ready? Yeah. Like ego, but because what I've what ties into that, I think for both of us, Speaking about reflecting with, you know, one thing that has happened, which also has more intensified looking back in a lot in, in this past year is my, this aspiration to self surrender to the divine. Yeah. And that practice. Okay. Yeah. That is my foundation. That is the most important relationship to the divine. It's not I'm using you as the most important person in my life. Yeah. Right. It's like we both have this, like the true self, the divine essence, right. And mm. have the foundation to build the relationship around that. So that already like give, uh, takes away the 
neurotic clinging of just needing something. Yeah, and then also a lot of like relationship relation a lot of relationship issues are because the other person you feel isn't like making you happy. Exactly. You know? And if you have your source your main source of happiness, if you can find it somewhere else. And not to say that your partner isn't gonna have share enjoyable moments with you, but it's like if you're making them the source of all your good feelings, then that's usually not gonna work out. <laughs> exactly. And I've written about this more if people uh, for listening check it out on my website it's a long essay on veilofreality.com called uh, the necessity to surrender to the divine and spiritualize the being it's also where my work and my inner state is taking me right now with the work we're also doing together and what i also noticed reflecting back this year and especially since we have gotten close in our relationship and our spiritual practices together and as individuals you know, you're a very strong meditator and you have very positively influenced me in that sense uh, to really increase my meditation practice. And I realize, especially in my life right now, how necessary and important it is to have a consistent meditation practice. Mm. Right? And I feel now I'm like, you know, in the past, I haven't been maybe that ready. I needed more like basic psychological work, embodiment work, more like physically getting to my body. But something has shifted yeah. over the past year, especially me personally getting integral yoga of Sri Aurobindo's work, but really that medit meditation practice to really get out of my head, out of my mind and really into my body, somatic meditation with that surrender and prayer to the divine and has definitely increased uh, since you and I are together. Yeah, because also I see, you know, meditation as a form of like deep psychological self-work because once you really start to understand... If you know how to meditate. You know how to meditate, yeah. Because once you really understand the nature of your mind, you start really seeing like what Gurdjieff calls the horror of the situation yes. and samsara, you know, and you really start to understand what's going on there and just not taking things so personally because you're like, you know, you just... <laughs> when I go in the world, it's like everyone's kind of living in their own projected reality for the most part people aren't even present they're in their bodies like their soul is like kind of a flicker but they're somewhere else but it's really you start to see the kind of madness of the world and then it helps you not it helps you have the not get so swept up in it yeah you know? and, uh, and also for listeners who don't know Gurdjieff for context when he said realizing the horror of the situation he was relating it to when you truly observe yourself yes we see the horror of the situation yeah. in the world that's almost yeah it's easy yeah but if you really sincere in your meditation practice and observe yourself you realize the horrors of the situation about yourself yeah that literally everything you think you feel is like some it's a program mechanically based on wounding trauma conditioning and all of our thought loops mm -hmm. that you know that you're like Shira Binder said you you know what you call yourself is just uh, it's just literally habits over lifetimes that you have just accumulated and it has nothing to do with your true self and just mechanically and what you mistake believed to be a free will are just mechanical reaction based on triggers projection unconscious behaviors yeah and you see this more and more when you especially in the meditative practice you go really deep and see this in yourself you know mm -hmm. it's like i don't know who it's good you said it or, or somebody else almas you know you know if you're not you know terrified about yourself you're doing something wrong and it's not about shaming yourself it's just coming in many uh, esoteric traditions, they talk about the necessary shock to realize, you know, the illusion you're living, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. the, the, in esoteric Christianity, they call the necessity, necessity of moral bankruptcy, mm -hmm. right? This disillusionment. Yeah. Right? That not externally with the world, but yourself and how much we've, you're lying to yourself, how the mind overrides, how you, you know, uh, you know, you also realize when you go deeper how all these thoughts are not literally not your own, but coming in from the outside, from the environmental consciousness, or they're literally stored in your body, right? Yeah. There's karma stored in your body. Usually what happens, and this is also leading back to like one of the lessons I've learned of this year, is that the, what before we have like a perception on an event, first whether we feel it or not, we experience it as a sensation in in the body. So what often happens, and this is kind of the crazy state of the world right now, is that people are picking up on like anger, environmental consciousness is a really big one right now, I feel. Or they're feeling some sort of 
an emotion that's either either stored in their body or it's something that's happening collectively. And what they do is they want to find a reason for it. Like the mind jumps to a perceptual storyline. So, you know, instead of just, and this is how meditation changes your relationship to your emotions. Instead of you're like, oh, I'm experiencing like heat or tension in my body. You know, you even get away from naming it as emotion because even naming it from as an emotion could get you away from actually feeling the emotion. But, um, but right away, like it's in the light, like literally like a millisecond of a millisecond or a fraction of a second, they jump to a perception. So they feel this like tension and like agitation and like an energy in their body and they want to find a reason for it. So they're saying, this is what I'm feeling this way because you did this or I'm feeling this way because of this happening in the world or whatever. And this is the madness of the world is you have these people who are kind of impulsively reacting and creating storylines out of out of just their their inability to feel what's going on in their body. Yeah. That ties into also this this article I wrote recently, a short article on tying it together. A topic we we discussed on the forum between black magics, psychic attacks, entity interferences, and shadow projections. Because I realized so many people, especially even still in the so-called truth movement, even it doesn't matter how intellectually people are aware of the so-called matrix, everybody still acts out their own wounding and triggers and projections. You know, and has this this butterfly effect, what I called almost the triggered projected butterfly effect. Right, that's the madness in the world, and everybody's reacting emotionally. And like you said, um, mistaking also, but that's a big lesson I also learned uh, from our process. Learned from you actually when when you were studying with Gabor Martis uh, on Gabor Martis program. Very important key to understand the difference between perception and feelings. Mm-hmm. And we mistake that when you say, for example, I feel abandoned, I feel lonely. Um, I feel rejected. I feel betrayed. These are not feelings. These yeah. are perceptions based on 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 a false perception you have based on a belief. Well, not false perception, but it's a, it's a it's not a feeling. Yeah, exactly. Right? And you cannot process because that's what you mentioned when you say, "I feel betrayed. I feel um, uh, abandoned, or, or whatever, lonely." Yeah, that's exactly what you mentioned. The mind making the story. Giving, trying to giving a reason, yeah, rather that's than the, perceptual the feeling. Range. What is the feeling underneath? And feeling feelings are, are like hungry, sad, scared, exactly. angry. They're very basic. Very basic, and yeah. that's that's what we need to uncover. Going just into the feeling without the story attached. Exactly, because then the reason why that's important is because feelings those need to be felt and validated. In fact, what they're discovering through, you know, <laughs> modern science is that feeling your emotions is eighty percent of your work, basically. Um, as far as doing spiritual and emotional healing work. Um, but we live in the perceptual range and we live in the most com- not only that, it's like we live in the most complicated perceptual range possible sometimes. So, you know, instead of actually even understanding that when we feel the certain sensation in our body, it brings up anger, which reminds us of this experience in the past, we have this whole narrative to the point where it's like it becomes Donald Trump's fault. And basically, you know what I mean, though? Do you know what I'm trying to say is that the feeling, the basic feeling is stored in the body. And we are so far removed from being able to feel that, like the further and further out it goes, you know, and that's kind of the thing with like kind of the truth movement is like the basic lack of emotional intelligence has reached so far out in the world where they're just kind of and and i'm not saying that you know things that they're saying aren't true it's just they're like they're trying to project that outwards yeah and that's that ties into also my own personal reflection at the end of the year you know followers of my work they can also see especially long-time followers that my work is always a reflection where i'm at and it changes all the time i just want to get i don't want to get fixated on one topic especially external right so it's also my personal mirrors my own personal process to each their own right i'm not telling that anybody should as i do but for me personally i see also i'm getting tired to speak out about the so-called matrix Right, mm-hmm. you, I understand the basic modus operandi. You know, a year ago I made this eight-hour webinar on hyperdimensional occult uh, interferences and protection clearing and all of that. And you know, um, people now write a lot about the hyperdimensional matrix, but I also don't want to f- keep focusing on that and get stuck in that. So right? maybe there's also like you know a bit of a grieving process with your own work that needs to happen. In that's, a sense, that's good to say because I also noticed. Uh, you know, I've seen over the year like. People getting out of my uh, out of my life, even so-called followers of my work. We see it on the forum. People come, leave, and I see a lot of people 
they're drawn to these kind of topics just because of the topics, because it intellectually tickles them, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. draws them. That's fine. We need this understanding on some level, but then just get so hooked on external information. And I see not many people are truly sincerely want to engage in that inner process, be it psychological or spiritually esoteric self-work. Yeah. And that's where I see the, to truly transform the being, to truly transcend the matrix and yeah. not fighting it externally. And I'm not saying that we should just shut out the outside world. It's not about escapism, aestheticism and all of that, or just meditating on my navel and just ignore the new age traps. Yeah. It's being aware, like know the enemy. It's important, the inner and outer work. But the inner work is just so sorely missing, especially nowadays with all the social media and and that's you know i've been all doing this also for over 20 years before there was youtube and facebook and now everybody's just distracted with sound bites clips and it's the attention is being vectored away yeah right? that's also because because this is bringing it back to death that's also how the matrix contr controls us through our death anxiety because you're if you're unable to be still and in silence and with yourself with no distractions you the the phone will be a highly seductive thing and that's why you know i noticed like if, if you're i went, went to a coffee shop once years ago and i noticed that if some one other person goes to the bathroom the other person reaches for their phone because even that person going to the bathroom is like st stupid as it sounds is a type of facing death okay i was just having a conversation with that person and now they're gone and then people look at their phone and these this kind of busyness you know just noticing that it is also this is in the way with your relationship with death and this is also in the way with your relationship with life because that means that you're never ever present with the exact situation as it is you're always going for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing yeah, exactly. you know and this is also why we get hooked on information is because um because we're you know we we just we need to keep consuming consuming that's, consuming is just not buying things it's consuming information that's as interesting well. that just that that uh, you may hit the nail on the head especially you know when we seek truth you know and it, you can get lost in a rabbit hole talked about about that before and literally just get hooked on information sensationalism and then you post about the elite whatever matrix on facebook and you feel you actually have done something but you have just almost like it's like um how can i say um it's like it's almost you're giving yourself a dopamine rush by this intellectualizing it all and, yeah. I, and this you know i don't want to throw the baby at the bathwater it's about spreading awareness but the way it works nowadays also you have to understand how we're so manipulated with social media facebook with the algorithms like in the end you're just quote-unquote preaching to the to the choir, uh, yeah, choir right you're exactly. not really reaching people yeah. and the best effect you have is like in your everyday life through your own inner process yeah right and really like in your relations and most often the simple things yes right and applying just even like that's what i've been so amazed and we have both seen this in our work because we work you know a lot with a lot with one-on-one -on -one, with groups you had you had your workshop with women with the retreats and people may be aware of all kinds of stuff of occult uh, hyperdimensional stuff but still don't get even the basics of shadow projections and triggers yeah or the childhood wounding you know like on this basic level and it's ironic that's where, where the matrix is working through us if we don't understand the basics not only understand but apply it yeah, exactly. And it's also, you know, there are people out there who are doing this kind of work and you'll notice it's a, you'll feel very safe around these people and it's an entirely different kind of way of like being because there are people who are sincere and really doing the work right now. And, you know, these are people who are not afraid to also live life and, I I think um are you looking for something? Yes, I'm looking at that reminds me of the Gurdjieff quote. Good to keep going. Oh, okay. I want to bring it back to the death though as well okay. because that's the main topic of this podcast. We've kind of gotten off into a bunch of different directions. Yeah. But it, it ties into death because I think it's also like, you know, when you truly sincerely engage in self-work and confront yourself, you inevitably confront death. Yeah, exactly. And also like <coughs> I, I think we'll talk about this in the second hour of the podcast, but I've had very profound experiences with death that have very much shaped my experience with reality, to be honest. And I know for many people, uh, I notice a pattern is especially at the retreat, there will always be at least two or three people who have recently lost someone they loved. And so death, you know, and this is not just Christmas and winter, rather, 
um, is an exp- is is an initiation, and it's a really big opportunity for us to wake up. You know, we the more that we're able to really go into the cave, go into the underworld in winter, you know, and get more get away from the external orientation and go inwards, the more beautiful. Uh, our summer and and spring will be. That's really what I've just learned through just experience, you know. And I'm not mean beautiful as it's going to work out exactly the way you wanted it to, but it's going to be a reflection of how well you were able to kind of die in the winter, you know. I know for myself, like the past couple winters before we met were some extremely difficult winters. One, I lost a really, not a good friend of mine, but it was like kind of like a soul sister. She was very young. And I was also living in a cabin by myself in winter, which is just like, I would never do that again, but it was very hard on a physical level. Um, and then the winter before, I was like haunted by like nightmares and uh, really doing some deep shadow work that I w- only in retrospect realized, you know? And this was like, periods of like extreme loneliness, extreme pain and really facing like my shadow so directly and with such clarity, you know, and these are this, this kind of like, you know, it's easy to talk about death and yes, we should embrace death, but really facing death is like a harrowing experience. It's like, it's not, it's not, it's not some like a beautiful process. It's very ugly. So we just have to acknowledge that part of it, you know, and but the kind of gift is, is the more that you're kind of like able to go in the underworld and kind of meet this ugliness and really embrace it and hold it, the more beautiful your kind of butterfly transformation is in the spring. And then also you, the more you go face death, go deeper, then you come face to face with your actually immortality. immortality. By facing your mortality, you realize your immortality as well. Right? Yes. That your soul essence, a psychic being that will never if you vanish. if you can go through that process through that, yes yes but i i find that most people can't like i've seen this a lot with people cuz western culture does not die properly i feel no listen we're obsessed with youth yes we're obsessed with youth and also the funerals uh conventionally are focused on permanence and like oh my god yeah. we lost them we're never going to see them again and and whatnot you know um but for someone who's like truly faced death, you know, either by losing someone they loved or by facing death themselves. And you see this like life in their eyes, you know, as someone, if they, they hold this wisdom, you know, or if they don't process it, what happens is they deaden. So then they're stuck in like just yeah, grief and depression. Ex- or they're checked out. They're you not know? even stuck in grief. They're not grieving properly. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So like death and life are so intimately interlinked, you know, is that. And nature teaches us that to begin with. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, just, and you know, you want to read a quote, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just go yeah ahead. So just to like invite people to really kind of take stock of this year you know and what how you've changed on different levels also what you're going to have to let go of in order to bring in the new you know and just consciously go through some sort of process with that whether you like do some sort of solstice ritual or anything just using this time to reflect and go inwards I just would highly encourage that in listeners because of how potent this year is like as a from a farming perspective basically the more that you take care of your soil in the winter the better the crops will grow in the spring and summer so just to think of this kind of metaphor Mm -hmm. yeah beautifully so yeah before we want to read that quote by Gurdjieff um, yeah we are near the end our uh, first hour the second hour which is available for members again if you haven't signed up go to veilofreality.com and also access to the membership forum. The second, hour, I want to like go deep into what we just talked about, death and dying. And also um, I want to bring up the work of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who has worked with terminal ill patients and what, what she has learned from people on the brink of death. And also, you know, I want to talk about more on, on personal stuff, uh, experiences and the membership section and also reflecting on this year from a global perspective. Yeah. Even less from the matrix perspective and what, what we see the world going the next year and what is the, you know, the end game, so to speak, or the challenges. 
but nonetheless you know it's all how we relate to it internally and how we react to it in in conjunction with our inner work and um, you know some other topics related to that as well so this quote I'm going to read from Gurdjieff is from a really f amazing access uh, article I got from him. And you can find the full article also on my website, veilofreality.com, in my writing section under notes. It's called The Last Hour of Life, a Contemplation on Death. And I'm just reading them. I'm going to read the first couple of paragraphs, what Gurdjieff says here. Imagine that you have only a few minutes, maybe an hour left to live. Somehow you have discovered exactly when you will die. What would you do with this precious hour of your stay on earth? Would you be able to complete all your things in the last this last hour? Do you have a conscious idea about how to do it? And letting go of your last breath, would you feel satisfaction from knowing that you have done everything possible in this life to fulfill that you're constantly present, always vibrating, always waiting, like the sun is waiting for the father sailor? In the manifested world, everything has its beginning and its end. In the real world, everything is always present and one beautiful day you will allow to forget everything and leave the world, quote, forever. Freedom is worth a million times more than liberation. The free man, even in slavery, reminds, remains a master of himself. For example, if I give you something, let's say a car in which there is no fuel, the car cannot move. Your car needs a special fuel, but it's only you who is able to define what kind of fuel is needed and where to get it. You have to define yourself how to digest my ideas to make them yours so that they belong only to you. Your car cannot work on the same fuel my car is working on. I suggest you only use the primary material. You have to get it from, you have to get from it what you can use. So more bravely sit down at the steering wheel. The organic life is very fragile. The planetary body can die at any moment. It is always one step from death. And if you could manage to live one more day, it may be only a chance accidentally given to you by nature. If you will be able to live even one more hour, you can consider yourself to be a lucky person. From the moment of conception, we are living on borrowed time. Living in this world, you have to feel death each second. So settle all your life affairs, even in your last hour. But how can you know exactly his last hour for the sense of security make up your things with nature and yourself in every hour given to you that you will never be met unprepared the, the man has to be taught this starting from the school how to breathe to eat to move and to die right this has to become a part of an educational program in this program it is necessary to include the teaching about how to realize the presence of the real eye and also how to establish consciousness At the moment of death, you have to be wholly aware of yourself and feel that you have done everything possible to use all within your abilities. In this life, it was given to you. And now it goes on and on. And it's just a beautiful reflection because, you know, we just live, you know, very mechanically, unconsciously and take many things for granted. You know, and the uh, death also puts into things, uh, contemplating and death puts things in perspective of what truly matters. Right. And then also having a practice turns maybe in practice of gratitude to be thankful and grateful for what the things we have, but we may take for granted, including relationships. And with that being said, see you all guys in the second hour. <laughs>